0: brilliant song, isn't it? Just stunning, but what a stunning God we serve. Isn't he good? Isn't he good? Can I get us so good? So good. Thank you. Awesome. Now we're off to a good start. I just love how a glimpse of him, of the beautiful reality of his goodness, how it can motivate us. You know, when we remind ourselves of what he has done, what it cost him, how precious our salvation is. In those moments, I find it I find it quite easy for me to want to run out and just tell the world how good he is. Just go and tell everyone. But then I get distracted. I I lose focus. I don't go and do it. As we finish this part of the Love Right Where We Are series today, I'm well aware that I'm speaking to myself just as much as I'm speaking to you, whether you are here in front of me, whether you're watching in Hastings, or whether you're listening online. I'm very much speaking to to all of us as a group. You know, so far in this part of the series, we looked at four prayers. Open my eyes, open my heart, open my schedule, open my ears, and finally today, we're going to be taking a look at the fifth and final prayer, open my mouth. Let me ask you a really scary question. What if I asked you, to go and share the gospel right now with someone that you know? What if I asked you to get in your car, leave here, forget me, drive to the nearest non-Christian that you know, sit them down and share the gospel message with them? Now hit pause. What's going on in your head right now? What fears or questions are at the front of your mind? Maybe these are some of them. What if I stuff it up? What if I don't have all the right answers? How do I even engage with someone who I don't think even I don't even seem to need Jesus from what I can see? What am I offering them that's that's better than what they've already got? Do I do I even really care enough to do this? What if I what if I ruin the friendship? Can God really save everyone? You're not alone in these questions. But relax, I'm not going to ask you to go and do that right now. Not right now, anyway. But to help us explore some of these questions, as we think about this idea of opening our mouths, we're going to take a look at how the Apostle Paul approached this in Acts chapter 17. So if you've got a Bible here, and I sure hope you do, um, open it up. Open up your paper, Bible, your electronic one, whatever you need to do, lean over your neighbor's shoulder and grab a hold of Acts chapter 17. We're going to be starting in verse 16. Paul's hanging out in Athens. In this passage that we're going to look at, we see this great example of the way that Paul chose to engage uh, the people and the culture that he found himself in, that he was surrounded by. He probably wasn't even planning to be in Athens, his mates have have sent him there to try to get him out of trouble, but there he was, in what many people consider to be the cradle of Western civilization. It's a bit past its prime at this point, but it's certainly still a really important city. It's renowned for its politics, for its culture, for its religion, and certainly its philosophy. As we have a look at this passage, we'll make a few observations to see where we might learn from Paul's example, where his approach might be a guide for us today. As we think about opening our mouths with the gospel message, one of the first things that we see, as we we'll look at the first verse in a moment, we're going to see that as he looked around the city, Paul was greatly distressed. Clearly, he's been enjoying a bit of local tourism, having a look around he's taking some time to check out the sites of Athens to see some of these highly impressive things. If any of you have been there I'm sure you're well aware of all the cool things that there are to see in Athens and he's he's getting, he's got to know the place. If you look at verse 16 it says while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, it's his friends, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. He's had a good look around and what he has seen troubles him. It It troubles him greatly. It says he was greatly distressed. Everywhere he looks, there's these idols, street after street after street of these statues to all these gods, false gods. You know, there's a saying that's actually from around that time that claims that it was easier to meet a god or a goddess on the main street of Athens than it was to meet a man. And weirdly, it's actually quite true. At the time uh, that Paul was there in Athens, there's probably about 10,000 people in the city. And there were around 30,000 statues of idols lining the streets. So literally, the city was full of idols. It wasn't just these statues, though, that had become idols. The city's cultural achievements, their amazing art, their impressive architecture had become objects of worship for the people of Athens. And so having had his eyes literally opened to the reality of the risen Jesus Christ... Back in Acts chapter 9, here we can see that Paul's eyes and his heart are open to the reality of the situation around him. The reality of the situation in Athens. The reality of their need for an encounter with the one true God. The reality of their need for truth. He's seen their desperate need. He's seen their idolatry. He's seen their rejection of God. And he has compassion on them. And this takes us right back to the very first of the five prayers that we've been exploring in this Love Right Where You Are series. Our first challenge, our first prayer, was that God might open our eyes. And we learned that we need God to give us glasses so that we would see lost people as he sees lost people. And Brad gave us these four great questions. Firstly, do we see people with compassion? Time and again in the Gospels, we see Jesus looking out at the crowds of people that are around him and knowing their desperate need. His heart goes out to them and he has deep compassion on them. It's a compassion that results in action. The second question we looked at was do we see people with clarity? Do we see people as they really are? Not just as they seem on the surface. We look at people and we make a judgment about maybe we think they've got it all together. But do we see beyond that to see who they really are? Do we really believe that they are lost without Jesus? That everyone is broken, everyone is sinful, everyone is needy, including ourselves, of course. Do we see people with... And he started with hope and revised to expectancy, I think. I like expectancy. Do we see people with expectancy? Do we believe that God's Spirit is already at work? He's already at work in people's lives all around us. And that he might actually use us to help point them to him. And finally, we were asked the question, do we see people with love? After seeing the lostness of people around us, do we love them enough to take action, to pray, and to go to them with the good news. Apparently Paul has answered yes to all of these questions because the next thing we see is that he goes out and just starts talking to people. Have a look at verse 17. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. He wants to engage with the people of Athens, so he goes to where they are. We heard this from Steve last week. It's no use being salt if we're stuck in a salt shaker. We can't be truly compassionate without action. We have to go. We have to open our mouths. And so that's what Paul does. He spends some time in these key places that will put him in direct contact with Athenians. He goes to the local synagogue, it says, where he's obviously going to encounter other Jews and God-fearing Greeks as well. And then he goes to the Agora, the marketplace, the central plaza of Athens. In our context here in Botany, he's gone to Botany Town Centre. In Hastings' terms, he's gone to Heratonga Street, probably hanging out near Rush Monroe's if he knows what's good for him. But he's gone to meet people. He wants to find out what makes them tick and to converse with them about Jesus. It doesn't seem like he has a particular strategy in mind here. He just spends time there, day after day, talking to whoever was there, whoever would engage him in conversation, which was, was totally his style and was a great fit with the culture of Athens. They love to talk. It's always a bit risky to use examples like the Apostle Paul when it comes to models for evangelism. Because, well, he's Paul. Okay, It's easy for us to go, well, that's fine for him, super-apostle Paul, super-evangelist. I could never be like that. It's like Kevin Harney says in his book, Organic Outreach for Churches. Some Christians have been taught this one-dimensional approach to outreach that works best if you are an extrovert and enjoy confronting people. Because most people don't fit this personality type... They assume outreach is not for them. However, in the book *Becoming a Contagious Christian*, Bill Hybels and Mark Mittelberg point out there are a variety of different evangelism styles. You've got the confrontational style. We see this from Peter, loves it, Acts chapter two, smashes them. Intellectual style. Paul, right here in Acts chapter 17, we're going to see him use his brilliant intellectual philosophical brain his classical training to to engage with the Athenians The testimonial style, think about the the blind man in John chapter 9, he just can't wait to share with people about the good news about Jesus because of what he's done for him there's the interpersonal style I really call this the food style but think about Matthew when he has this massive banquet, Luke chapter 5 invites all his mates around has a big feed, hangs out together the invitational style. Think about the woman at the well uh, when Jesus um, encounters her in John chapter four. She has this encounter, and she just can't wait to go and tell her friends, "Come on, you've got to come and meet this guy." Come on! And there's the serving style as well. Tabitha in uh, Acts nine. She's she's renowned for knowing for, for doing good, for clothing widows, for, for caring for the poor. Um, and there are probably there are definitely other ones as well. And none of these would fit any of us perfectly of course and we probably move around different ones at times but the point is God has designed us all differently and that means when we work together as a team we'll be able to connect with and reach a really wide range of people God has designed you to be specifically who you are you are a masterpiece go with it it's worth remembering though that we're ambassadors and not salespeople. I realise for the band people this is exactly what I tell you not to do, put water on the thing. And now I realise how convenient it is. <laughs> I will install a cup holder at some point. <laughs> we're not salespeople, okay? Our job isn't to employ the slickest sales presentation that we can in the hope that people will buy our product A product that we're we're often not even sure that people want. Our job is simply to open our mouths and to start a conversation. And that's because as God's ambassadors, we have the honour, the privilege of sharing the good news with lost people. Earlier this week, uh, Brad forwarded me an email and it was um, a blog post from Dr Rose Meter who shared some really useful insights into having meaningful, life-giving conversations with non-Christians. I thought they were fantastic. In uh, In the intro to the blog, she shares quite honestly about her own thoughts around this. She says, I have been a Christian my whole life and have also been a thoughtful student of the human art of conversation for years and I find this thing, sharing my faith, incredibly hard to do but I want to, I really want to. I actually believe that meeting Jesus on this side of heaven will make life richer and more joyful and more peaceful than anything else available to us. There is a tenacity and fierceness to God's love through Jesus that holds people firmer in the face of life's struggles than anyone can imagine. I want everyone to know this, everyone. Relationships, as you well know, are very complicated There is so much room for misunderstanding when it comes to communication between two people. And timing can be really difficult to get right. But here are five tips that Dr Rose shared that can help us. Firstly, she talks about moving past your own assumptions. Often, when we're talking to people, we've already pre-decided what that person thinks about God. But just because your friend doesn't go to church... Should you assume that they think that spiritual things are irrelevant? Really? Do you have evidence to support that? Have you asked them? Sure, I I know there's a risk in asking them, but make sure you're not cheating your friend out of a conversation that you're both keen to have. Secondly, express a genuine interest. Don't begin with your baptism story. Ask them how they're going. Ask him how he's going. Ask her how she is doing. And then listen you're not sure how to listen well jump back to next week, listen to Steve's sermon fantastic he also said in that sermon great questions are better than great answers you know your first few conversations may never even include a single idea of your own you're just listening and asking ask about life and ideas and plans and achievements and concerns and anxieties be intentionally respectful validate, empathise Be motivated by a genuine desire to engage. You know, life has a way of hurting people. And so when their story breaks your heart, when they share their hurts with you, think about offering to do what you would do for yourself, and that's to pray. You know, I'm continually surprised at people's openness to this offer, regardless of their background, regardless of their beliefs. You don't have to pray right then and there, but by offering to do something that you would do for yourself, you're caring for them. And here's a hard truth from Dr. Rose. If you don't care about this person, you don't get to nudge the conversation into the faith arena. You don't get to invite them to church. You don't get to share your spiritual opinions with them. Number three know your truth, you know Billy Graham he stands out in the crowd of humanity as one of the most influential leaders of our time, that guy knew his truth, his passion for teaching millions of people came from a deep conviction centred around the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the the spiritual uh, (laughs) resurrection and reconciliation in the same sentence is hard reconciliation this offered to the world he had studied the scriptures to the point that He couldn't keep it to himself. He couldn't keep this life-saving message of unconditional love and acceptance to himself. And out of this conviction, out of this deep belief, this truth, he shared his faith. And I encourage you, reach daily, reach just more than that, constantly into the scriptures and apply that truth into your life. Believe it, take hold of it. You will feed and breathe life into your soul. And God will use you number four share your stuff everybody has stuff I'm using a very polite word you don't have it all together life gets tough for everybody so be vulnerable talk about how your job leaves you dissatisfied how you struggle to get a good night's sleep how you worry about your kids and your weight and your money. If you talk about God in the absolutely false context that your life is perfect, your words will be meaningless. Because what you have to say about God doesn't really matter anyway. You obviously don't need him. You've got life figured out all on your own. The real truth, though, is that you believe that Jesus died for all the bad, unexplainable anguish And junk that goes on in this world and that affects your life tell your friend that they'll listen to you and point five let go when you invest time into people when you share your life with them you share your heart and you share your faith with them the possibilities for life change is incredible, it is a gift that could truly transform your friend's life or maybe it won't maybe they'll just really like you and then they're going to turn down every invitation to church every invitation to an event every offer to pray and you know what, it's okay when people encounter the truth about Jesus they might feel a deep conviction from the spirit to respond, but they might not that is not your responsibility. That is not your job. You can let that go because God has got this. We're not sure how long Paul exactly spent doing all this in Athens. Clearly it was, it was days. Day after day he said he was there engaging with people, doing this. It might have been weeks. But at some point it got the attention of some local philosophers. Have a look at verse 18. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. These guys are keen for some debate. Paul has introduced something they haven't come across before, and so being good Greek thinkers they they want to throw it around a bit with him, they want to chew it over, they want to see if there is something to this new teaching that he's bringing, particularly this whole resurrection thing, which went against both of their sets of beliefs they want some answers, who is this random babbler, this scavenger hanging out in their marketplace these guys represent two main competing philosophies at the time although they hang around the around today as well. Epicureans. These guys, everything happens by chance. Death is the end, no afterlife. Gods, well, they exist, but they've got nothing to do with this world. Pleasure, through a simple lifestyle, is their ultimate aim. If they had a motto, keep it simple. The Stoics, they were pantheists, which means that everything is God, and God is in everything. Whatever happens to you, that is your destiny accept it, very fatalistic very detached, if they had a a motto, if they had a t-shirt it would say meh it happens (laughs) (laughs) they were also concerned that Paul was trying to introduce some new gods into their already massive collection, firstly there's this Jesus character and then also this idea of resurrection, which in the Greek system in itself could be seen as a kind of god This is why they ended up with so many gods. Paul had been sharing with them the good news about Jesus and that he had risen from the dead. And it was was messing with their thinking, their way of thinking. And so they probed him with questions. You know, in my experience, the opportunity to answer direct questions about my faith can come along when I least expect it or when I feel the least prepared. One occasion that sticks out for me was at my local physio. Having hurt my back and lying face down in my boxes on the physio table, she decided it would be the perfect time to ask me to explain the essentials of the Christian faith to her. Sure, seems like a great time. Do you ever feel like God is just messing with you? I do, a lot, okay? We have another great example of this. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, Robin Byrne sat down with Andre Kirstein, one of our elders, to talk about an interesting and unexpected encounter he had with a workmate. Check it out. Yeah. And you know that when the tech guy is preaching, tech stuff goes wrong. Great, Andre. Thank you for taking the time to be uh, interviewed today. Uh, Recently, you told us of a recent conversation uh, that you had with a work colleague... Um, And we'd love you just to take the time to share um, with the wider church community today.
1: Um, Well, it happened a while back, about two, three months. We we went down to Christchurch to open the new building that we'd been working on in the last couple of years. And the client wanted to celebrate with the team. So he invited us all out that evening, and we went to a little pub. We gave a whole lot of drinks and nibbles, And we just got together and had a good time, and my work colleague was with me and he was enjoying it, but he wasn't drinking any alcohol, and then eventually one of the architects said to him, hey, come on, celebrate with us, have a beer, which he did. And um, while the evening went on, it was a really enjoyable time, and he and I started walking back to the hotel, and while we were walking back, he said to me, I noticed you had more than one beer. No, no, brother. Yeah, where you (laughs) go? And um, so I looked at him and he said, yeah, because you're a Christian. And I said, yes, I am allowed a beer or two. Mm. I said, I have the freedom. And right there and then I thought, man, here's an opportunity to share the freedom I've got. Mm. And I said to him, I've got freedom to enjoy things in life, but there are boundaries and as long as we stay within those boundaries, we can enjoy the good mm. things in life. And I said, why, what? can't you? And he said, no, I'm not actually allowed to drink as a Muslim. Mm. And I said, oh, but why? He said, no, we've got rules that we have to obey, and we can't just do what we want to do. And I, I was listening to what he was saying, and I thought, man, this is a great opportunity. And while he was talking, I prayed. I said, Lord, help me, please. This is the first time I'm going to do it. Help me not screw it up. <laughs> and as, the, as we were walking along, we were talking a bit more, and I was growing more and more confident mm. in just sharing you know, the freedom of God and why I believe in Christ. Mm. All- and then out of the blue, he said, so is Hagar, an Egyptian. And it was like there was a chasm in the sidewalk, and I fell in it. Because I didn't know, who's Hagar? <laughs> and I went blank. And I didn't know what to say anymore.
0: Mm, mm.
1: And as we were still walking, I tried to understand. but So I said, why? What, what's so important about Hagar? And he said, well, you know, it's about Abraham and going back to the birth of our religion. And I went, oh, I got, of course. (laughs) And, but because of that, I'd lost total confidence. Mm,
0: mm. And
1: I literally, I struggled to share with him. I didn't know where to go with it because I didn't know where he was going with Mm. this conversation. And we eventually got back to the the hotel room and I said, good night. I walked into the hotel room and I just, grown man burst into tears Mm, mm. because I just thought I'd screwed up Mm. and that was it, God's never going to be using me again. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, um, the story has moved on Mm. because about two weeks ago we went out to celebrate um, the the section that I'm in. Mm. The year's come to an end and we've done financially quite well. Mm. So we all went out for dinner together and God's obviously got a sense of humor, because I sit down, and who sits right opposite me, but this very same gentleman. And I thought, oh, let's just not get into this conversation. But by now I knew who Hagar was, and I was prepared. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and then two young ladies sat down next to us, and while we were having dinner, these two ladies started talking about evolution, because they both are into revol- uh, Revolution. into evolution, <clears throat> And while I was listening to this, I heard my work colleagues say, Oh, but that depends on the God whom you believe in. Mm. And when he said that, I thought, yeah, my opportunity. Mm. I'm going to step up and hopefully, Lord, there's no pavement. I'm not going to trip over anything. I'm going to leave it in your hands. Mm. Mm. And the evening turned out to be a fantastic success because, well, I say success because I didn't screw it up, mm. but... I was able to share why I didn't believe in evolution. Mm, mm, And I tried to get across to them that what they believed in was a lie. Mm. There is no such thing as evolution, but there is a God of creation. Mm. And with that, I said to my work colleague, you and I believe in a God who created. Mm. We may differ in what we believe, but... We don't believe
0: in
1: creation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I looked at him and he said, we need to talk again. Mm-hmm. And I thought, maybe I've done it. And uh, yeah, I'm looking
0: forward to it. Yeah, that's so cool. Thanks for sharing yeah. your heart, mate. That's yeah. awesome. Thank you. I really it. Thank you. <laughs> Isn't that cool? I love your honesty and openness. I probably want to talk about how many beers you had, exactly, but... <laughs> Being an elder, I'm not sure that's my place. So <laughs> maybe Brad will ask about that. But what I love about that interview, and is yeah, just the raw honesty of it. And I'm not, from what I know of Andre, I don't think he considers himself to be a super evangelist. Um, <laughs> and just yeah, having had yeah, heard from him over the last kind of six months or so, he. You know, he says, "I don't have any stories, nothing kind of." And then he just, "Oh, except for this one time, blah blah blah." Um, and then, yeah, God's used his open eyes, his open heart, and he's just got this conversation going um, with three people now. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> fantastic. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us. I love this um, this quote from John Burke, which I'm realizing I put in the wrong place. is there. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Shouldn't have made that comment about tech things going wrong with the tech guy. Nig- uh, you'll help me out, eh? Thanks, mate. Yeah, so there's <laughs> Oh <clears throat> <clears throat> Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna read you the quote. Oh he's found it. Brilliant. Ah oh. I find our generation incredibly open to spiritual truth and dialogue but they have grown up in a world of competing beliefs people just check out when they feel that Christians are arrogant and unwilling to consider the truth claims of others as well but they are very open to hearing expressions of truth stories illustrating why God's words are true they long to experience something firm and solid that feels true they don't resist truth They resist arrogance. But there is a humble way to express truth. There's no question that for people to understand the truth, we must open our mouths and speak it. But we must do that well. There's a quote that's often used and uh, attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, which can take various forms, but usually says something like this, Preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. And whether or not St. Francis actually said that, I I think it can make a useful point. Sometimes though it's used to imply that simply living out the values of the gospel, living out the values of God's kingdom is enough. And that perhaps verbalising the message of the gospel isn't necessary. It's not true. As Romans 10:14 says, "How then can they call on the one they have not believed in, and how can they believe in the one whom they have not heard, and how can they hear without someone preaching to them, without someone opening their mouths?" There are a variety of ways to do this, of course, to share the good news about Jesus, but I quite like a model that Kevin Harney presents in organic outreach for ordinary people. At a high level, it looks something like this. Firstly, God loves you. He knows everything about you and he still loves you. He loves you more than you could ever imagine. Human beings, though, we've we've broken our relationship with him by sinning. God did something about it. He did something about this problem. And what he did, well, that's the greatest news ever. He sent his son, Jesus, to die for our sins. He did it. Through faith in Jesus, we can be forgiven and restored that that relationship. We can have that relationship restored. And life with Jesus, that's just a whole new beginning. I love the, the simplicity of that. And there are a whole bunch of other ways that you can use to share the gospel message. Often in the process of sharing the good news, people will have specific questions and you might not have the answers, and that is okay. Don't pretend that you have all the answers. You do not. And this is why it's so important to do life alongside and amongst other Christians. Sharing our faith is a team effort. We've already talked this morning about two great opportunities to team up. Firstly, the Explore course. It kicks off on the 10th of June. What a brilliant opportunity for you to spend some time with your friend in a safe place where they can, they can say what they like, probably. Can they say what they like? Yep. They can ask what they like. I know they can do that. As Stephen and Robin, they'll help lead a conversation centred around who Jesus is and why he came. If, if you feel like there are some areas of knowledge that you would like to grow in, then maybe the, the Confident Christianity Conference Very difficult to say. Is something you might like to look at as they explore what it looks like to to sensitively and skillfully respond to the biggest objections Christians encounter today. We've heard about these things already this morning and the details are in your bulletin. I would encourage you to to check them out. Very, very useful. And so back to Paul. We we discover that in trying to introduce... uh, Trying to introduce new gods into the the Greek system wasn't allowed without official authorization from the state. And so next we see that it is politely suggested that he might like to come and explain himself to the Areopagus council. Have a look at verse 19. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting? You're bringing some strange ideas to our ears and we would like to know what they mean. The Areopagus council functioned a bit like a high court. It was a ruling council, had quite a bit of power. And Paul has been asked to explain himself to them. Paul, would you come and tell us the gospel? (laughs) Sure, let's go. He gets right to it. Let's have a look and read his fantastic speech, starting in verse 22. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said... People of Athens, I can see in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription To an unknown God. So you're ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead so he starts off, he recognizes their religious devotion, man you guys are so religious and he points out that he's seen their objects of worship, he's been around the city, seen everything and he's noticed this altar, it's to an unknown God, it's kind of ironic because the Greeks are meant to know everything and he says well you know what, that unknown God he's the God of the universe he's the only God and that God, he doesn't need, to, need us to provide anything for him or to serve him. You know, he is the one himself who gives everything to us. Even life itself comes from him. We, ultimately, we're all just one people living uh, where and when he decides. We're created to be in fellowship with him, and he is near to us. And then he, he quotes a couple of, the, of Greek poets and says, you know, our very existence is rooted in God, our living, our moving, our being. We're his offspring. Don't confuse worship of God, he says, with the worship of things that we've created, these statues and buildings. You've got it wrong. And so he summarizes and says, mankind, we should have recognized this, but we haven't. God has overlooked this in the past, but now he's calling everyone to repent, to get it right. Jesus is going to judge everyone on a day that God has set. And the proof of his ability, his right to do that, is his resurrection. You know, we only get a we get a summary of his speech here, but it's quite brilliant. And he models some important things for us that's work well for his particular context. You know, this whole beginning of finding common ground. You know, you guys are, are so religious. Look at you, all your gods. Let's talk about God. And it doesn't begin, though, with the Bible. He doesn't even quote the Bible at all. There's no point of opening Genesis. I've got no idea who Moses is, these Greeks. And he doesn't he doesn't even try to prove the existence of God. He just starts with God. It's like he says in Romans excuse me, Romans chapter one. Since what may be known about God as plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. We were made for God. We were made with what Blaise Pascal calls a God-shaped whole. It's in every one of us and we'll fill it with something. Either the truth about God or something else that we can twist and bend and force to try and fill that void. It's like the great reformer John Calvin once pointed out, our hearts are perpetual idle factories. Our inventive ability is both impressive and downright scary. So Paul reminds them, these guys at the council, that they weren't there in Athens as the result of some kind of accident. God has planned it. He has structured their entire lives in order to attract them to Him. And they must repent of their idolatry. At the end of this encounter, we see that Paul gets a bit of a mixed reaction. Have a look at verse 32. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. Others said, We want to hear you again on this subject. And at that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, and also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. When they hear about this idea of resurrection, of Jesus actually rising from the dead, some of them can't help but scoff at this ridiculous claim that he's making. Some of the others were interested in uh, in what he'd spoken about, And they wanted to hear more. And then as we read on, we see that a whole range of people that Paul had been speaking to have come to faith from his time in the synagogues, in the marketplace, and even a member of the Areopagus Council with such a mixed response. It's a great reminder that we are not the ones who do the persuading. It is not our work, it is not our mission, but we are God's ambassadors. And as God's ambassadors, We have the honour of sharing the good news with lost people. One of my favourite songs has the line, God, you don't need me, somehow you want me. I love that in the context of, of, of God's mission. Because it's both incredibly freeing and also unbelievably motivating. It's freeing knowing that ultimately God doesn't need me to see his will done. It isn't all going to come crashing down. His magnificent plan isn't going to come to an end if I don't do my part, if I fail in my obedience. He's got, he's got people everywhere. He's got people right here, people that are better than me to accomplish his will. But it's also Unbelievably motivating for me to be reminded That somehow the God of the universe The King of heaven In spite of my weaknesses My inadequacies My failures Somehow he wants me And he paid this unfathomably high price That we've remembered this morning To have me on his team He wants me to be a part of his mission We're his ambassadors And if we were just open our mouths he can make his appeal of reconciliation through us it's not that I have to do this it is that I get to do this as God's ambassadors we have the honour of sharing the good news lost people but we desperately need him to help us and so as we finish can we pray together Can we ask for his help? I'm gonna put it up here on the screen. And as I pray, you're welcome to, to read it as I do that. But can we can we seek him together? I need him. You need him. Let's talk to him. Father, open my mouth. I have to admit I'm afraid of looking foolish or being rejected. And yet my friends and family need to hear the good news about Jesus. Help me to be actively looking for opportunities to speak about you. Give me the courage to seize the opportunity to share your truth when the openings arise. Holy Spirit give me the right words to say at the right time. Help me to always be ready to share you people around.